There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 121 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of March 21st, 2011. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on our excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. As always, this and all other papers are available at the website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com, and I encourage you to swing by and check it out. So this week's episode comes from sort of something that was spun out back in January when my mother lodge had our centennial anniversary. And what it was is we actually are named after King George V. And back in 1911 when we decided we were going to name our lodge, we wrote to Buckingham Palace and requested that we get royal assent to be able to be called King George V Lodge. And King George V wrote back and said that that wouldn't be a problem, but he would prefer that we were called King George Lodge and to drop the number. So that's what we have. And on the celebration of our centennial, we got a letter from Buckingham Palace um, congratulating us on 100 years and our time with the monarchy. So got me thinking about this sort of piece, and this is something that I've had down in the treasure troves for a while, and it talks about why it is that Freemasonry has the toast to the Queen of the Craft. It was written by Wright Worshipful, brother of Fleming. And uh, just as an interesting note here, is he was a past junior grand warden in 1978 when he created this document, and he had also served as a finance minister for uh, for the government of Canada. So quite quite interesting little uh, history on that piece. But we'll get going with uh, Wright Worshipful brother Fleming's piece on the Queen and the Craft. It is the accepted view that the ritual of Freemasonry, at least insofar as in the first and second degrees are concerned, is in part derived from the ceremonies of earlier operative guilds. The expression, so motive be, and the words Cowan and heel, for instance, point to antiquity. The toast to the King and the Craft is not, of course, any part of the ritual, but it is one of the best authenticated heirlooms we have received from the remote past. The various charges, dating back to the middle of the 15th century, differ in form and as to, as to their historical references. But all seem to concur in calling on the Mason to take heed right well and wisely to the first charge, that Masons should be true men to God, and in the second place, that they should be true liegemen to the King and true to the craft of Masonry. We surmise that in these old charges lies the origin of the toast to the king and the craft, and that on the occasion of refreshment, after giving thanks to the almighty architect, this toast would not naturally follow and be in due course. In 1738, Dr. James Anderson was ordered by the Grand Lodge to draw up a revised constitution of masonry. His compilation is known to this day as the Constitutions of 1738, his work has some imperfections, but the learned doctor had a sound and accurate knowledge of the Masonic usages and customs of his own times and those of the preceding generation. The first actual reference to the toast is found on page 88, which states that this toast was drunk by Scottish Masons in the reign of King James I of Scotland around 1430. In reference to this custom in Scotland, 
It is notable that there is still in possession of St. John's Lodge, Glasgow, number 3, a celebrated chest, which seems to have been used at a great Masonic functions in the 17th century, and contains the records. On the outside is carved an inscription, God save King and the Mason Craft, 1684. The next reference is in the time of King James I of England, who was also King James VI of Scotland. On page 98 of the Constitutions, it contains an account of the laying of the foundation stone of the new banqueting hall in Whitehall in 1607. Here, Dr. Anderson relates to the Grand Master Indigo Jones and the Grand Wardens, the Earl of Pembroke, and Nicholas Stone, a celebrated sculptor, both attended, and a purse of broad pieces was laid upon the stone for the masons to drink to, the king and the craft. Whenever the toast is mentioned in these constitutions, it has the distinction of being printed on a separate line in large text. Dr. Anderson states that at the festival in 1719, Dr. Silgars, then Grand Master, revived the old, regular, and particular toasts of health of Freemasons. These appear to have been three in number, namely the King and the Craft, representing the principle of loyalty, the Entered Apprentice, on appropriate occasions, representing the fraternity, and the Tyler's Toast, representing relief. Two more were added at later festivals, with the Grand Master and the Grand Stewards, and by the close of the 18th century the total list averaged about nine. A further mention of this toast is to be found on page 180 of the Constitutions of 1738. The occasion referred to the laying of the foundation stone at the Church of St. Martin's in the fields, in the region of King George I, 1727. Many prominent Freemasons attended, amongst other, no doubt, Dr. Anderson himself. The toast to the King and the Craft was drunk with full Masonic honors. With the advent of the Hanoverian kings to the throne of England, undoubtedly Freemasonry in the first half of the 18th century lay under some suspicion of harboring a lingering sympathy to the royal house of Stuart. In June 1722, a deputation of Freemasons waited on Viscount Townsend, one of His Majesty's principal secretaries of state, and brother-in-law of Sir Robert Walpole, historically the first Prime Minister of England, to assure him of the absolute loyalty of the craft, and that all its proceedings and ceremonies were founded on this basis. An interesting letter has been preserved relative in this matter from Dr. Thomas Mattingham, Deputy Grand Master from 1752 to 56, dated from German Street, London, in July 1757, to one brother Sauer of The Hague. He was authorized by the then Grand Master, the Earl of Carnarvon, to set out in the practice and customs of the English Grand Lodge. After going into various points, he states, Our healths in Lodge are first, the King and the Craft, with 3.3, etc., I refer to Quator Caronti, Transactions, Volume 3, pages 110. In the toast list of the 18th and 19th centuries, this toast holds the utmost place. It was given with full Masonic honors, whether the king was or was not a Freemason. It is remembered that the first sovereign who was a Freemason was King George IV, who reigned from 1820 to 1830. His brother, who succeeded him as King William IV and reigned until 1837, was also a Freemason. The toast list for the Grand Festival of 1794 contained the following. 
the toast, the king and the craft, music, God save the king. In the constitutions of the Grand Lodge from 1738 to 1767, this toast appears as the proper toast to be given first after the master's song. After the edition of 1767, the song and the toasts were omitted. The reference thus far have all been drawn to, from the records of the Grand Lodge found in 1717, and known as a senior or modern Grand Lodge. The other Grand Lodge, founded in 1751, known as the Athol or ancient Grand Lodge, professed, and probably with some justice, to practice and observe a more authentic and correct ritual and customs of ancient Freemasonry. In any case, it is a fact that as their union in 1813, the points in ritual and customs for which the ancients contended were almost entirely adopted by the United Grand Lodge. Having regard to this, and also in the fact that a large number of important lodges on the present register are the lineal descendants of the old ancient lodges, it is significant that on this point the practice of both Grand Lodges were identical. In the minutes from June 1760 and again in September 1761, the ancient Grand Lodge authorized toasts and they were recorded as the King and the Craft heads the list with a full Masonic honors. On the first date, George II was King. On the second, George III, neither of whom were Freemasons. As is the practice in the Grand Lodge of Ireland, it is recorded in Spatz Constitution, published in Dublin, 1751, that when the foundation stone of the Parliament House was laid by the Lord Lieutenant, Lord Carteret, many Freemasons were present, and the health of the King the Craft were drunk. A list of toasts in the Constitutions of the Grand Lodge of Ireland in 1817 is headed by that of the King and the Craft. It is thus clear beyond reasonable doubt that this toast is an ancient usage and established custom of the order. Only the strongest possible reasons could therefore excuse its elimination or alteration. Yet, in the early years of the 20th century, no doubt under the influences emanating from the continent of Europe, attempts were made to modify the toast and to two separate elements in it. This led to a scholarly examination of the origin and history of the toast by worshipful brother Simpson, who res whose research and writing I am indebted to for the material in this paper. It is these words he stoutly advocated the retention of the toast in its ancient form. And I quote, With great respect, I submit that the circumstances of our times and position of Freemasonry furnish us with a strong argument for the retention of the toast in its present form, and with Masonic orders as it has been given from time immemorial. I do not wish to labor the subject by recapitulating all the arguments in favor of this, but in conclusion will touch upon one aspect of the matter only. In the 18th century, up to perhaps the year 1780, Freemason lodges on the continent were allied with religion and loyalty, and were, perhaps, more aristocratic even than those in England. The higher and Christian degrees were exclusively practiced in France, Spain, and Portugal. The rise of the Illuminati in Germany, and the formation of such lodges as Le Contrat de Social, composed of members of the Jacobian Club in Paris, and were indications of a commencement of a new era. The history of the movement is told in an interesting and now rare book by Professor Robinson of Edinburgh that was published in 1789 and entitled Proofs of a Conspiracy Against All Religions and Governments in Europe.
He contends that the French Revolution was directly brought about by the Freemasons' Lodge in Paris, and this is also the view taken by the French historian Lamartine. Since then, it is common knowledge that continental masonry, for the most part, has gradually become anti-religious and socialist, and it would, most unfortunately, be impossible to associate in any sense with monarchy and loyalty. It is, I submit, therefore, incumbent on us in the Mother Lodge of the world to be very cautious and to take no step, however trivial it may appear, which may give semblance to the idea that the indissoluble connection of the king and craft is not subsisting as it were in the days of our forefathers. Many arguments will readily occur to brethren in favor of the retention of this ancient toast in its entirety and with full honors. I have yet to hear of any valid arguments against its contention. The death of King Edward VII, a past Grand Master, and the accession of King George V, who was not a Mason, in 1911 brought the question to an issue, and led to a circular dated January 6, 1911, being addressed to the Grand Secretary General. Dear Sir and Brother, I am directed by Pro Grand Master to send you an enclosed copy of the historical note on the Masonic Toast King the Craft by Dr Brother J. P. Simpson, which has greatly impressed him, which he thinks may be of interest to you and the brethren of your lodge. The question whether this time-honored toast should be retained or not is being widely discussed at the present time, and there are some who think it would be more loyal to make the first toast to the king in the ordinary manner instead of coupling his majesty's name with the craft. This view no doubt results from a prevalent misapprehension as to the origin and meaning of the toast king and, the, and craft. It is thought by many that the heath of this sovereign has been honored in this manner only on account of his or her patronage of Freemasonry, and that the toast ought to give expression to the wider and more disinterested loyalty of citizens of the nation. Others, again, have under the impression that the old toast was the occasion for drinking to the prosperity of the craft simultaneously with the health of the sovereign. Brother Simpson's interesting comments, based on careful research in history, seem to make it clear that none of these views are correct, and that the real significance of the toast is that loyalty to the king is an essential principle of Freemasonry. The pro-grand master had been asked by many brethren to give a ruling as to the proper form of the toast. But he not, does not feel justified in interfering with the discretion of masters of the lodges where this is seen as being a convivial part of Freemasonry. The pro-grand master, however, is himself strongly impressed with the correctness of Brother Simpson's views and hopes that the ancient form of the toast, king and craft, will be generally retained. Yours faithfully and fraternally, E. Letchworth, Grand Secretary. Thus, the pro-grand master refrained from making any hard and fast rule on the form of the toast, and it therefore remains within the discretion of the master of the lodge. He did, however, go so far as to express the hope that the ancient form of the toast would be generally retained, and retained it was. King George V was succeeded on the throne by two sons, Edward VIII and George VI, both of whom were Masons, and no question as to the toast arose during their reigns. On the death of King George VI and the ascension of our present monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, in 1952, some confusion arose over the form of the toast. The Board of General Purposes made the position quite clear in its respect 
in February of 1952 and adopted the quarterly communications of the Grand Lodge in March 1952, and the relevant item reads as follows. The Loyal Toast. As there appears to be considerable doubt in the minds of brethren regarding this matter, the board wishes to make it clear that in countries where the loyal toast to the Queen is honored, the first Masonic toast should be to the Queen and the craft. This should be followed with Masonic fire, where such is given. Thus the question was settled conclusively, and we, trust for all times for lodges under the English Constitution, nevertheless, in some lodges and in some jurisdictions in some countries of the Commonwealth, the first toast is to the Queen, followed by the singing of God Save the Queen, and the second toast is to the Grand Master. And yet, in most other lodges, it's in the drinking as true and loyal subjects that we all express our patriotic love and duty to our gracious and beloved Sovereign Lady. And every Mason present, then, signifies his conviction that loyalty to the Queen is for him an essential principle of Freemasonry. Well, hot diggity dog, that's uh, the Queen in the craft, the King of the craft, and every other sovereign in the craft, it seems. I know that that's one thing that we do in our lodge, and probably has a lot to do with being associated with King George V, is we supplement the starting of Lodge, where we sing uh, O Canada, with the closing of the Lodge, with the presentation of the Union Jack and the Canadian flag, and the singing of God Save the Queen. So I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together, and I promise it'll be much sooner around on the next time. But until that time, be sure to come swing by and uh, email me at podcast at the digitalfreemason.com or just come leave some comments there on the website www.thedigitalfreemason.com. Until next time, be sure to keep the shiny side up.